0: Back to the Center Kickers podcast. I'm your basic podcast host, deep in the closet here at (laughs) centrism.com, where we try to bring the masses together. Um, so I got to start out by, you know, giving an apology for clumsiness. Um, It was brought to my attention, and I, you know, listened back to it in the last podcast. That I used a bigoted epithet, and I'm not going to apologize for using an epithet uh, as cringy as it is, because it is 100% cringy. Um, it was an epithet, uh, like I said, a bigoted, not really a racial one, uh, about those who wear turbans or any sort of headdress. Uh, the, the apology I will make is not the apology I will make is not properly accentuating the context i was the intent was to get into the mind of a shitty american who would join the armed services to go overseas post 9-11 and kill anyone you know a person of color who wore a turban or anything like that and i used the epithet and it was cringy. And the pro- like I said, if listening back to it, it didn't sound like I accentuated the context well enough for you to get that that was my intent instead of just rolling through it like I was saying it offhand just as some horrible piece of shit. Um, and that's fine. You know, like I said, I'm not going to apologize for saying the word because words are just words. And if it offended you, I'm sorry, but not sorry. You got a problem. You need to fix that. Um I didn't say it out of hate or out of malice or anything else, so like I said, here I am with zero listeners, and I'm just having to apologize. Um, but I will just apologize for the clumsiness, because I could have put on an accent or put quotes around it and, you know, just really made it stand out. Instead, I just flowed right through it, and it didn't sound good. So yeah, it was cringy, but it is what it is. I had to address it, because the last thing, if you've listened to any of these, you know that... <laughs> Bigotry and racism is not at the top of my agenda. It's it's, it, it's it, That is the antithesis to what being a centrist is. And I'm trying to... Those those ideas hold no merit for me as far as... Even to the point of being bigoted in the way where I, I don't think they matter so much as far as your culture, your race. Because people take pride in that shit and I have an issue with that. But anyways, that's I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole today. You've heard enough talk about it from me. But I just will say that I apologize for my clumsiness, and um, and that's it. So, what is in the news today? I don't know what else is going on. I'm all in my personal life. Uh, I'm on vacation. Went on a beautiful hike down in Oregon at Eagle Creek. Uh, I recommend everyone, if they're in the Northwest area and they love getting into the outdoors, to go check that out. Uh, I've been reading. Oh, well, before I get into that, um, so my kids have, uh, advisory, you know, where the kids, they invite you to the school, you can talk to the teachers, see how the grades are going and whatnot. And, you know, there's so much has been made about what's going on in our schools these days. Um, uh, a lot of the hubbub is focused around universities, obviously, uh, cause that's where a lot of the activism is coming from. But I have a kid in high school and I have a kid in junior high or, you know, middle school, however you want to phrase it. Um, And I guess you can see the seeds being planted. I mean, there was a few Black Lives Matter posters in the hallways at my son's middle school. Uh, There was a queer, queer joy sign in his literature teacher's room. Those things. It's not like there's a uh, there was a parade or a protest going on at a school, but they put these they put these pictures up that are specifically catering towards people of color, um, or people of uh, alternate gender or sexual proclivities. Which which at the same time doesn't it doesn't bother me because I know there's the the constant uh, belief that representation matters or that these signs are going to reach out to someone who's sensitive about their identity. Um, When you're at a school where a large percentage of the children and even faculty are people of color, are you really going to feel out of sorts? Are you going to feel out of place? I mean, it seems like these signs would have be better placed in schools where there's majority white kids and maybe only a few people of color? I mean, who am I to say? But at the same time, my my children go to schools where white kids, they might be the minority. Maybe around, I mean, I would say generously 45% of the school might be white. And I hate the term people of color, as you well know, as one who absolutely hates the idea of race period. So people of color doesn't mean anything to me. They're all just kids. But, but because we live in this era where this distinction is constantly made and my kids got to deal with it and I got to hear about it. And it's just fucking absolute stupidity. Uh, you know, you got half the kid, half the kids at the school or over half the kids at the school are these people of color, whatever (laughs) they like. There's some United culture, or United people, which is ludicrous. But just like it'd be ludicrous to say that all white people are somehow united. Anyways, uh, once again, it, it, this stuff just drives me up a fucking wall. But that these, these, these uh, signals of advocacy, signals of activism, they exist even in high schools. Now, my argument about indoctrinating kids is that I don't think kids are really taking to it. They don't really care. I think they see teachers doing shit like this, and they think it's just adults being dumb. I think they probably identify, I mean, there's some kids, of course, who are always going to go, oh, want to be the teacher's pet. Yeah, those kids might be warped by it, but most of the kids are going to see this shit and be probably just be annoyed by it, or think it's stupid shit in the hallways. I mean, I I can't recall, via my shitty memory, about what I saw in the hallway as a kid growing up. Uh, granted, I was at a wildly majority white school in, in Lily Uh, privileged town (laughs) suburb of uh, Washington state um, where a lot of old people lived. So you could say it's probably conservative, but, but those places like uh, the place, like I graduated from have completely flipped to being the white liberal suburbs where this sort of activism is, is broadcast daily and, and at the loudest point because no one wants to be uh, accused of being, you know, (laughs) anti-woke. Anyways, I I just thought it was curious seeing those things. It didn't really bother me, I guess. I mean, like, some... I'd have friends who would absolutely bristle if they saw BLM. Like, that has no, no business being in a school. That's politics, and kids should be learning and blah. And I'm sort of sensitive to that. But at the same time, we can't ignore what's going on in the outside world. So, and like as far as, like, the queer joy... I mean, the teacher, obviously, she wasn't just putting it up there because of that. She clearly was either lesbian or you know, whatever the new gender kick is these days. She was not I and mean, she had the tats, she had the short hair, she dressed boyish. Um I'm saying she because I didn't ask for her pronouns, nor do I really care. I mean she's still represented. I guess above her door it did say Mrs. so I mean I'm assuming she would be at, would be okay with being called a she. Anyway, it, it it's <laughs> Here I am breaking this shit down. It doesn't really matter. It was just interesting. Um I don't, my kids didn't notice it. I didn't, I didn't ask my sons about it, about like the sign at the high school that said unapologetically black. Like what, who needs to see that? I mean, I I guess maybe they're, like I said, it seems like those signs and all that stuff, the activism is really catering to people who have a very low self-esteem. And I think it's insulting to assume that because you have brown skin based on our country's, yes, shitty history, that you somehow are damaged. You come out of the, you know, if anything, you're damaged by your parents and your grandparents. Now, granted, <laughs> like I said, I'm, we can all go back and the reverber- reverberations of history. I understand it's complicated. and And maybe your grandparents and parents were shitty because of Jim Crow and, and, and afflicted by poverty. I get it. I know it's like I said, I don't want to gloss over some very, some absolute realities that people have, but at the same time, I think it's also insulting to once again, assume that everyone needs to feel like, Oh, it's okay to be unapologetically black. It's like, yeah, some kids are probably walking around going, yeah, I know you don't need to tell me I'm fine. But so <laughs> anyways, it's just, to me, it communicates that a very parental view or pa- patronizing view to, to to kids of color that you need to be told that it's cool to be you, it's okay, you're accepted, it's cool, high five, thumbs up, you're awesome. I just I think a lot of kids remembering remembering my own uh, feelings as a teen that that's the shit you rebel against. That is the stuff you push back against because that is some square shit. And then I'm going back to the 40s and 50s there with that with square, but that is square shit. No one wants to be that. I mean, it's just that in itself is cringy. It's more cringy than me using a stupid epithet. That's cringy shit to a teenager. They don't want to hear that shit. They don't want to deal with that shit. They're busy worrying about women and or girls and boys and acne and fucking hair under your arms and what music should I be listening to what should I, there are so many other things in the hierarchy of concerns of teenagers than being unapologetically black they're gonna be unpol. they're trying to figure out what it even means to be black at that point but then you get into the whole well then try to indoctrinate them blah 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 i don't i don't know about that i really don't know about that and good luck trying to indoctrinate a teen those are the most <laughs> intransigent fucking human beings on the planet is any teenager i don't care what their melatonin level is it's ridiculous anyways so that was a little personal experience and what i think's going on in schools these days granted i this is a i mean this is a super progressive area this is king county seattle area uh, so uh, it if this is the level of progressiveness that schools are at, I still think it's pretty weak sauce. I think it's a lot of, lot to do about, much to do about nothing uh, for most part for conservatives. But at the same time, I get it. I mean, you can have your concerns. And once again, I think most of the stuff should be brought to attention of school boards. Actually attend your damn PTA meetings if you really care. That would be a good thing to do. Get involved in your community. and But be be ready for pushback. Be ready for an actual argument instead of grandstanding or trying to create a viral video about this shit. Tr- try to make a difference, really, in in the microcosm that is your little county or school district or anything else. Just and don't be afraid to voice your opinion, but don't be afraid to get into a debate, I guess. And and uh I think that would be healthy, a healthy thing, but also recognize the intent that these people as as patronizing as it might be and Simplistic as it might be, they're trying to do some good, and oh, by the way, maybe even involve some actual students in these talks and see what they think about. If any are willing to step forward, I would wager that the ones that are more willing to step forward be leaning in the activist direction. Um, but you know, you never know. There could be other students out. There's been examples of more slash quote unquote conservative students who are more in line with the content of your character rather than the color of your skin sort of ideology, which I wish would be, if that's I hesitate to even call it conservative, but it absolutely feels conservative these days. Um, anyways, let's, let's move on. So what else is going on? Ukraine, uh, is happening still. I'm not sure what else to say about Ukraine other than I'm still wrong It's been bogged down. It's slowed down. A lot of stagnant news reports. There's been concerns about nuclear weapons, chemical weapons. Um, A lot of news today that I was listening to about Tulsi Gabbard's concerns about uh, (laughs) essentially using Russian information about American-funded chemical plants, if I'm saying this right, and therefore people like Mitt Romney are accusing her of treason, essentially, and even the, the idiots on The View You know, saying, oh, people used to get locked up for stuff like this. I just, I can't believe how stupid people are these days or willing, can't break down information or at least imbibe any information without completely being reflexive and literally castigating their fellow countrymen is treasonous. Because they're putting information out into the world that you're not even you're not even verifying. I mean, granted, you might say Tulsi is overreacting, but at the same time, don't tell me it's not a reaction to claim someone's a you know a traitor for putting information into the world in in a country where we're supposed to be celebrating free speech. So, uh, I think once again, Trump, COVID, and now this Ukraine war. I mean, it is just backbreaker after backbreaker for the American people who have. No semblance of unity. Our brains are completely broken at this point. Uh, we are absolutely part in, partisan, less American, and more partisan than we've ever been in my lifetime, it seems. I, mean, I know there's always been some heated politics. I don't think that's that's been the case since the founding of the country, but good lord. It is beyond ridiculous right now, and it's it's concerning. I don't know what else to say about it. It's deeply concerning. Um so I mean that's I don't know what else really in the news. Uh, I'm sure I should be racking my brain about it, but I can't really think of too much. Uh, I guess oh, let me, I'll tie it into the book I've been reading lately. Uh, the well finished, I should say, "The Shock Doctrine" by Naomi Klein. Fascinating book. Uh, completely infuriating. It was essentially to summarize the book. She goes into the Chicago School of Economics, mainly touted by Milton Friedman, who was a protege of Hayek, who wrote um, The Road to Serfdom, and they just essentially advocated laissez-faire capitalism, Um, you know, which is a lot of libertarians these days are on that bandwagon as far as complete government, getting government completely out of business. Um, there's elements of that I'm frankly susceptible to as far as, but I guess it depends on scale. So I think I said in the last episode or one episode recently that I'm all in favor of laissez-faire capitalism when it comes to the mom and pop, uh, hat maker or whatever, selling hats or their own personal hemp clothing, or if it's, I'm a person who, has his own his own hives and makes my own honey and vegetables or something and I'm selling those at a market or I am a some sort of contractor you know the fewer the licenses like the fewer pressures you can put on the actually small businessman the better but those those pressures I am less willing to relieve when it comes to the larger I mean I'm talking about globalism the globalist uh, hegemonies of actual, like multinational corporations and things like that. Oh, they need all the pressure in the world. So that's where my laissez-faire attitudes end. However, um, that is not the, you know, the, the take of the, the Friedmanites and the Chicago boys of economics. Um, they're laissez-faire to the top. And I think that's where you get these oligarchs. I mean, which we've all heard about in Russia, we clearly have them in America not just the ones you can name, but all the ones in the shadows that are, you know, the low billionaires who are funding all sorts of you know, this and that and everything else. And let's not pretend they don't exist. I know that sounds very conspiratorial, but let's stop kidding ourselves. Our government is not responding to its voters. Our government responds to the donor class, and the donor class are the oligarchs of America. Let's come on, wake the fuck up, people. Um, uh, so, like I said, that might, like I said, that might sound as conspiratorial as as anything else, as 9-11 truthers and everything else, but I, I just don't know how else to, to point it out to you. It's like, our government is not in connection with the common man. So who are they, in, who are they connected with? Well, it's pretty clear. Um, but anyways, Noemi Klein's book is very good. She goes through, uh, spends a lot of time focusing on Chile, um, and the Chicago boys going down there and certain individuals essentially trying to turn that economy to a free market paradise, uh clearly uh under <clears throat> focuses on the dictatorship in Chile with um uh Pinochet uh and how they influenced him to go completely laissez-faire with his economics, denationalize and things like that. And she she quotes some numbers about, you know, unemployment and um she backs up her arguments. <clears throat> and I, I didn't go and try to verify this. I didn't get into the historicity of it all. I'm sure there's some pushback against their book, as there is with everybody, because history is a constant debate, which i this is one of the reasons I love history. Uh, it's pretending like we're gonna actually know hundred percent what the true history of anything is is a lost cause, but i I enjoy the pushback I enjoy the you know the information we can bring out um on a, on each side and just really make good arguments and sort of come to some semblance of the truth somewhere in the nuance. I mean it's hard enough to know what the truth is in the present god forbid you tried to discover it in the past uh she doesn't just go there i mean she she covers all of it i mean she even goes in oh there's a large section about russia and Boris yeltsin and how he's a was a drunken lunatic was essentially propped up by uh american interests and things like that um and the, how that affects russia today and how even now that is having uh effects right into this conflict with ukraine so it was pretty fascinating and timely read frankly um and I highly recommend it. Uh, the Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. Uh, what else did I want to say about it though? There was... Uh, oh, well, just also that I found it intriguing that... so, the, So she goes into these shocks. So the thing is she compares these massive shocks and revolutions and things like that to actual torture. So... There was a section of the book where she was setting it up is early in the book where she's setting up how the CIA funded all these torture programs uh to to break an individual down. And then the argument came that, well, if you break can break down an individual in such a way to get them to reveal whatever and even rele- or turn them regress them back to almost uh childlike behaviors, including incontinence and Murmurings and blurberings and and being unable to speak and sucking thumbs and things like that. That it's possible that you could do that same thing to um, to a society. And to accomplish that, you would um, you have economic strife. You would have, like I said, a revolution of some kind, a change, a civil war, a whatever you would need to essentially quell a society into submission because they felt like they were their existence was at stake essentially I think um, that you could close them off from outside information you could control the narrative you could put them in a sense a state of fear and panic and then that fear and panic would allow you to control them essentially and then once they were shocked you could then uh, reorganize the entire political, social, or economic system, or all those things combined, to then reshape the power structure and get away from essentially communism to a laissez-faire uh, doctrine of economics. Um, this obviously can cause immense harm because I think laissez-faire capitalism, as I stated earlier, I could be in favor of at a very small local scale when it's Individual to individual, you know, and essentially in a very conservative, heightened conservative sense of the word. But when it comes to global hegemony of markets and, and total, uh, what am I trying to say? When you're trying to capitalize on needed, when you're trying to essentially privatize water rights, when you're eating up all the private and public lands, when you are, uh, and then, cooperating or co-opting the military into protecting the royalty, the oligarchs of the political and economic system. And that is obviously not where I think laissez-faire is cool because that's where it gets you. At that level of power and influence, laissez-faire economics is essentially just canonizing a royalty, which is completely anti-American, frankly. Um, And as much as I love the, the flavor and the fire and the turmoil of capitalism to some extent, that is not the turmoil I'm talking about. I'm not talking about empowering individuals or even groups, small groups of, of individuals and cabals to then control uh, control society, really. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, once again, I, these, talking like this sounds conspiratorial and, and wildly leftist, but at the same time, I don't think anyone deserves that amount of power. Um, and this and this aspect i'm very much a, in the vein of thomas paine as a as a founding father i mean you you're literally creating a royalty and an aristocracy that does not need to exist and and this gets into uh some of the other topics i've had or the other books i've read where there's a once you get this aristocracy, there is a complete separation of culture where these people are not Americans. They're not Americans in the common everyday sense. They are above and beyond. They are internationalists. They are globalists. They are not of a nation. And so this, and then they weaponize the idea of nationalism to then support themselves with fanatics beneath them who are just essentially propping them up uh, because somehow because they're the ones truly uh, running the institutions. Anyways, like I said, it sounds, (laughs) I know it sounds super conspiratorial. Not every rich person, like once again, this is where it gets nutty is because not every rich person is involved in the oligarchy or they're, they're not all the, the new aristocracy. They might just be rich and obnoxious and shitty. They might be like a celebrity that you hate, but at the same time, that doesn't mean they're running the country. And so this red scare idea that we all need to rise up and, you know, put heads on pikes of every rich person in every, in specific zip codes. That is where it gets nuts, and that is not what I'm saying at all, at all. I am not a warmonger or a you know. As much as I can appreciate a revolution, I think there'd be. Um, I w- if I want a revolution, I'm going to look to the ideology or the uh, the playbook of Martin Luther King and folks like that who, who, who put it on the other, who put it on the people in power to be the the violent ones. I had this idea today. I'm. This is a bit of a a um, a, segue here, or not even a segue, but a, a sidebar is what I meant to say. Uh, just that, that if you could get like a million people, you'd probably need more, but just like a million man march walking right into Kiev right now. Just from all over Europe. Just people just arm in arm, just a block, a line of people just walking through. What, I mean, do you think Russia would fire on them? They probably would. And then you would have It would be an atrocity. But at the same time, how powerful of a statement would that be? It's like, if you're truly anti-war, we're going to go there and we're going to make you bloody innocents. Now, granted, you could say, well, they're already doing that. That's already happening. What a waste of life that would be. And you're not going to really accomplish anything. But if you could somehow leak that footage into the people arm in arm just walking towards the Russian military and them getting blown to shit and then show that to actual Russians. Then you get outraged there. Then you get outraged all over the world. You show it to someone in China, they're going to get outraged there when they're supposedly cooperate. Anyways, it just, there's something about that sacrifice and symbolism that even if it didn't do good in this moment, it would reverberate throughout history. And that's the power. That is the power of those the civil rights footage, where you see the dogs being sick, where you see the hoses being turned on on Americans. It's powerful. It's because it changed me. I mean, I think it changes everyone who sees something like that. You know, I didn't grow up in that time. I think it changed people who were who probably had inborn prejudices. Then they saw that and go, well, you know, I might not agree with everything Mr. King's trying to do, but. But God, that's not right either, you know, what I'm trying to, once again, get into the mind of someone that I'm not. But at the same time, anyways, so, sidebar, off the sidebar, back to the shock doctrine. So the idea was, if you could shock these communities or these countries into submission, essentially, that you could reshape the power structure, and and that's what the book is about, and it's been shown, she shows gives, like I said, the Chilean example, the, I know, oh, yeah. the uh she gives the example of oh sandy why did i say sandy hook what is the goddamn hurricane hurricane katrina in new orleans and that was an example of laissez-faire economics and how it failed i already said russia and i'm spacing on one of the other examples but once again very good book worth the read um what else did i want to talk about today oh, no, no, I wanted to tie that book into COVID. I think COVID, had she wrote the book now, or I think she people who write books like this, they should keep adding on chapters, either for free, or... I mean, I know the, the money-making thing would be to write a whole new book, but uh, I don't think you should write a whole new book. Just keep adding on, like, essays to the end of it. Because I think COVID, frankly, would be another great example of her shock doctrine. I mean, um, Trump, under Project Warp Speed, I mean, he essentially cleared out all the uh, safety protocols to get a vaccine on the market as quickly as possible and who benefited Pfizer and Moderna and how many other companies around the world capitalized I mean how much money did they make they're still making money off of this quote-unquote free vaccine that we all paid for through our tax tax dollars Pfizer is making money hand over fist they're still making money hand over fist you know there's going to be another wave and they already have their pill they're perfecting that the, the Pfizer pill so that's going to make them more money I mean Pfizer will make money till the end of time based on this virus, and it's that's been cemented, and that was you know uh, they're not gonna have to pay any of that back now. did they really shock the country into uh a complete revolution or economic- but no not not necessarily maybe it's a lighter version of what Naomi Klein's talking about in the shock doctrine, but they certainly certainly empowered the pharmaceutical industry to make a shit ton of money on a frightened populace who's willing to flock out and get this vaccine and probably going to stock up on the pill too, because we will have, we will have new variant waves that hit us. And so people are going to want these pills. But They're going to, like I said, stock up on them, stock up on water and necessities. God forbid we go through another toilet paper shortage. Um, but, but yeah, so I would say that COVID is another example of, uh, an electric shock to the system of Americans and democracy where we are willing to put aside critical thought in favor of safety and yeah, safety and, and protecting the status quo, frankly. And, but what's odd is when you protect the status quo, you seem to be giving up your power to those in real control, those in within the oligarchy and the upper circles of Anyway, I'm blathering on now, but you know what I mean. You're getting the sense of what I mean. Um, so I have a weird... Well, I'm going to get to Kamala Harris. Okay, well, the audio might be a little bit different. Uh, I had to take a break from the podcast and ended up in my car at my son's basketball training. <laughs> so uh, we'll just see how this goes. I'm just going to try to wrap this episode up here. But yeah, I had hinted that I want to actually apologize or give some sympathies or kudos to actual Vice President, who's under constant attack, constant uh, beratement, um, and mostly deservedly so. But uh, recently, she she had another loony quote, or at least that's the way he was painted. And then one and people just essentially claimed that they didn't know what the hell she was talking about. But really, I I kind of found the quote inspirational, and I, frankly, I wish that. Um, once again, when instead of blasting your partisan opposite, you know, if you're a Republican, blasting a Democrat and vice versa, instead of doing that, you should find the places where you can find common ground. And here's one where conservatives miss, missed an opportunity to use what Kamala Harris is saying against uh, specifically Race ideologues or even any grievance sort of ideology that we have in our politics today and here here's the quote, and we'll go we'll go from there but here here's Kamala Harris, our vice president, giving what I think is a very inspirational quote. Wow, this is being stupid Wow, that's why we're here today. Because we have the ability to see what can be unburdened by what has been. And then to make the possible actually happen. So to me, <laughs> that's not so bad. So to see what's possible. Okay, so that's planning into the future. Unburdened by what has been. Now this, this is the line that a lot of people, the grievance politics people... Whether it's white grievance or anything else, frankly, it doesn't matter what your grievance is. You have to be unburdened by the past because if you're going to let your... Just like if it was your personal issue, how are you going to move forward with your life if you are dwelling on your divorce or how are you ever going to find happiness or devote your life to a child when perhaps one of your other children tragically dies? You know, if you're going to completely focus on the, the horrific things that happen in your life, you're going to have a hard time moving on. Well, as a society... I don't think it's much different. I mean, are we in perpetuity like 300 years from now, still 300 years from now, still going to be talking about slavery and about the fact that um, uh, the rainbow community wasn't given rights and you know they had to fight for rights um, at Stonewall and stuff like that. Was it Stonewall? God, I hate it when I, I can't think of things correctly. I'm pretty sure it was Stonewall, the, the riot or protest at Stonewall. I'd have to look it up, but right now my internet sucks. So yeah, I just, I, yes, those are ugly things. They should be acknowledged. They should be taught. They, we should all be learning from them, but, um, and learning from those mistakes of, I say our past, but we know, I we know what we mean when I say that. I mean, I wasn't at Stonewall. I wasn't at the Birmingham bridge in Alabama. I didn't, I didn't partake in those things. I wasn't even born but I do share that story because it happened in my nation, you know, something that I you know have some amount of patriotic pride in. Uh, I think those are black marks on our nation's history and and i am not afraid to to look those incidences square in the face and come to grips with them. so that's what uh Vice President Harris is saying here. She's saying, you know we're we're setting a goal in the future. we have to be unburdened by the past, and that way we can actually achieve. What we're trying to set out to achieve. I mean, to me, that's actually one. It's not all that confusing or dumb. I mean, it sounds sort of hippy dippy, you know, maybe naive, you know, naive. But um, but at the same time, it's hopeful to me. I mean, that's a message that I would like to see propagated. That's a message that instead of constantly bickering about the past and trying to claim that you know you need to you need to believe that the founders are absolute crap and everything they ever came up with was horrible and and therefore throw the Constitution out the window and completely reshape the country. It's like, well, <laughs> I just feel like that's the, the goal of these people, these grievance politics, is to, because bad things happen, now we get to destroy everything and and remake it the way we want to see fit. Um, like, that's not going to set up some more grievances. I just... <laughs> so, yeah, I, just, I think that was a, a time where... Th- Conservative commentators could have said You know what, you're absolutely right Vice President Harris, that is 100% A thing that we should all do Let's listen to it one more time after I've given my Pretext here and see if you guys maybe Agree with me and we're here today Because we have the ability to see What can be Unburdened by what has been And then to make the possible Actually happen Yeah yeah, I, I don't see that as being completely Looney Tunes or I don't, I'm sure I'm going to lose all my credibility with some people when I'm siding with Kamala Harris, who's got historically low approval ratings, but seeing the goofy smile on her face when you watch her give that quote, I get it. I, she's very <laughs> matriarchal as far as just like kind of talking down to you like you're a, a teenager or like you're not a teen, not even a teenager. I mean, even in, in some respect, but, uh, talking down to you like you're a kindergarten. Like she's a kindergarten teacher and she's giving you, you know, <laughs> some advice about life. I get it. It's pretty milquetoast. It's pretty sappy. But ultimately, that message stands true, I, I think. The way I framed it, I think I think it has merit. Maybe I'm crazy. Oh, what else did I want to talk about in this podcast before I wrap it up? That might be it. I just needed to put uh, an end on this. I got so distracted. Um... Uh, trying to wrap it up earlier and then life happened and you're running around and working jobs and dealing with kids. And so I I had kind of left this thing hanging and I needed to get it, um, wrapped up. Oh, that's right. I did want to, I did want to do more. I wanted to talk about the woke racism because I started reading that book by John McWhorter. Um, and tie it into, <clears throat> well, I, I just should probably just say that that's going to be a whole new episode on its own. Uh, maybe I should just leave you with the positive words of Vice President Harris instead of, because uh, I, I was reading uh, that book and I wanted to tie it in with uh, Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz and the Not a Nation of Immigrants book, because uh, I'm just seeing the contrast of ide- of ideologies and the, and how one facilitates change through positivity and the other seems to facilitate uh, change through negativity. I'm sure you can guess which side I'm going to fall out on that, but I I should probably just save that for another episode so I can do a deeper dive. So yeah, we'll just sign out. This is a bit of a shorter episode, but I'm going to try to, if they're going to be shorter and I can check in more often, I think that's what I'm going to try to do. Obviously I'm still a rookie at this. Um, and I think my apology at the beginning of this episode highlights that amateurism, but I'm enjoying venting. Um, if anyone ever listens, well, I hope you at least can enjoy an amateur take. Uh you know, I, I should prepare a little bit more on some of these topics. I get it. I still am promising to try to get better. This is a difficult art form to try to master. But I grind with politics every day, not just so I can do the show. I mean I've been listening for years. Granted I'm still an amateur. I don't do the deep dives. I'm not Jennifer Briney. I'm not Kyle Kolinsky. I'm not any of those guys. I'm just a fucking blue-collar dude who's trying to make sense of all this stuff, because frankly, if we have a real democracy, I mean, I should matter to some extent. I I feel like I don't. And I think that's a, a common uh, issue with our democracy these days is a lot of people don't. Some people are claiming they've never mattered. Well, I don't want anyone to feel that way. And supposedly I'm as the basic American supposed to be the one that all this is for. And I don't feel like that's the case. Um, and books like the shock doctrine, even not a nation of immigrant, even, um, you know, coming apart by Charles Murray, even, you know, all these books they're they're pointing to that the common everyday man is often overlooked by the great man of history, uh, way of looking at history and things. And I, I still feel like that's today. There's there's a, there's a vein of truth to the great man of history, um, philosophy is because most of the, most of the basic people like me come and go and nobody knows, you know, the graveyards are filled, the battlefields are filled with people like me and everybody else. And it's not like I'm shaping history just because, you know, so anyways, I'm going to go on a tangent there if I keep going. So I'll just just (laughs) let my tangents, uh, pen them up for another time i guess it's weird doing this in the car so now you've been in my closet and my car very personal spaces um so yeah i hope the audio isn't too horrible um and we'll just leave it there Uh, go out be beautiful hug your kids hug your mom hug your dad hug your significant other and if you got to go go with a smile on your face love to all